we're enlisting Anona for Operation Mincemeat and taking Benedetta to the Lost City. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome to Offscreen. We are taking you on a ride which you might be mistaken for is something from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, but it's not. It's four movies to start off the show that take homage or give homage to movies from those kind of yesteryears. And we're going to have a lot of fun talking mm. you through it. So welcome to Offscreen. We're going to kickstart with on, um, on Oda, 10,000 Nights in the Jungle. Uh, this is something that I think feels like it should have been set back in the 70s, as in it should have been made back in the 70s. It has that feel to it. It's almost an mm. epic three-hour-long movie, and it is something quite incredible if you're really in the mood for it, isn't it, Van? Absolutely. You say it spans decades, so a, a, you know the larger chunk of the movie, I think, does take place in the 70s. So it's loosely, it's, it's fiction based on a true story. So this is written and directed by Arthur Harari. It's, um, is, it, is, it, is, is it in Japanese? I think it is in Japanese, mm. isn't it? But it's, mm-hmm. a co, it's, it's a massive international co-production as well. So it has no fixed cultural identity in that sense, although the language spoke is primarily Japanese. It's between yes. a Japanese platoon who are dispatched to a remote Philippine island in World War II. They, uh, are, they are then told that World War II has ended, come home. And certain among them start to believe, no, no, our, we don't believe this. This sounds like misinformation. It's our duty to fight until we are reliably informed. Honor dictates this is the code. And this then reaches an almost castaway level extreme. Remember the first time you saw Castaway when it jumps mm. ahead in time? You're like, oh my God, they, they, they're really seeing this out. Oh God, this movie very much the similar thing of oh my god they're really seeing this out except it spans decades so this yeah. goes through to the 70s for the later portion of this movie and as you say from it so Marsha, there's an element of almost deliverance to, to certain mm. scenes in this there's one sequence in particular that's very deliverance there's elements of the deer hunter there's this first blood in there there's apocalypse now this is very rooted in 70s cinemas that that's yeah. uh, that that new wave exploration of the Vietnam era. Very much what's going on in here, but casting its eye back towards subjects from World War II, whose more dated moral code has allowed them to push forward into the Vietnam era without explicitly doing the Vietnam thing. It's a fascinating film. Yeah, and I think I'm with you. The Deer Hunter, uh, you know, Apocalypse Now, it, it really does give you those kind of feels and vibes it almost feels like it's shot in the same you know it's shot on film in the same way there's just you know something very vintage about this particular movie and I mean I don't know about you Van but it is a long runtime. so I don't know how you felt about watching it for almost three hours did it hold your attention it, it, it did and it did because it's quite episodic it, it mm. is it, it is quite episodic in the way it's done. There's a lot of uses of flashbacks. We have different actors playing Anoda at different times. Uh, one is single, like Yu Endo and uh, Kanji Suda. So um, Kanji is the uh, the I think he's the older of the two. And and the way it's played is absolutely it's wonderful. It's an incredibly nuanced performance, twofold. They are different performances, and just, uh, but they are they're played so perfectly in tandem and the writing Mm. is such that to watch this man's 
you know, outlook and his his rigid his rigid adherence to this, this moral code and how how it how it mutates and how it stays how it changes but stays the same at the same time through different decades. It's fascinating to watch through the different performances, um, but the way it's structured. It, it it held me. It really did. And then the way to have it just laid out in these uh, these almost non-linear at times, episodic little bits. Great. I, I thought this was I thought yeah. it was absolutely wonderful. I wasn't expecting anything of it. To be really honest, and the the runtime I found incredibly daunting. But I thought we need a fourth movie this week. Come on, I'm mm. taking the bullet. Two hours fifty three yes. minutes, and it whizzed by. I really enjoyed yeah. it. I think the performances are incredible, but I think the film itself is fascinating enough. And I think as a subtitled ride as well, it's a hell of a one. I'm shocked that we didn't hear about this more in uh, in, in mainstream Western awards contention, but these are the ones that slip through. Absolutely. So this is available in cinemas from today. It is rated 15, but again, if you want to kind of see something which, you know, Van obviously thinks is very, very highly regarded, even at the runtime, then definitely mm. check out Anoda 10,000 Nights in the Jungle. I would argue nobody under 15 would have the patience to watch this anyway. No, no, absolutely no. not. Right, let's move on to something that feels positively vintage. Uh, again, in cinemas from today, and this time rated 12A. This is Operation Mincemeat. And Van, I can see you are wound up, ready to go on this one. I, I am. Right, first of all, this is the worst possible title for a movie. I sat and watched the trailer for this uh, before a screening, one of the Cineworld limited screenings, and the trailer's really good. And then you get yeah. to the... It's like a really great wartime thriller, and then it gets to, it gets to the cast list, and it's reeling off the names, and it's Matthew McFadden, Colin Firth, Johnny Flynn. And then you get to the title, and the music swells, and it's Operation Mincemeat. And you're thinking, <laughs> wow, that just drops the title tonal ball doesn't it anyway so it's a really compelling world war ii thriller based on the classified mission to basically no sorry i thought you no i thought you meant it would be something like a comedy i was thinking this would be like phantom of the open yeah. style because yeah. of that title yeah, yeah. not a thriller I mean, yeah um, you're proving my point that's exactly yeah. it you get yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right that's ridiculous i, I know right I'm actually really disappointed. I was like, I'm ready for a comedy. Let's do it. And then you yeah, went, Thriller. I'm just saying, no. Tinker Taylor. <laughs> Tinker Taylor would not have the Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy would not quite have same have the same effect were it titled Mission Ball Break or something like that. It just <laughs> wouldn't work, would it? Anyway, beside the point. Okay, beside the point. Um, so your classified true uh, mission, right? This is a hell of a story as well. So Matthew McFadden, you know, like riding high on succession mm. right now, okay? And Colin Firth, they are the military bods put in charge of a mission, in, in which has as a member, a core member of its team, Johnny Flynn as Ian Fleming. Okay, remember, true story. And their mission is to distract the Nazis so that we can land on the beach and win the war. They have to basically divert all the military forces so that the great beach landing can finally take place. And this, I'm going to play the clip for you. And remember, this movie is called Operation Mincemeat. What if the autopsy reveals he didn't die of drowning? Or if the briefcase is returned to us without the Germans seeing its contents? Charles, why on earth do you keep poking holes in our plan? I'm preemptively poking. Success depends on guiding the papers into Hitler's hands. 
The nightmare marching this way is only too real. And the Spanish won't let the Germans anywhere near our briefcase. We are in the dark. The enemy is waiting for us on those beaches. History herself will avert our eyes from the slaughter. I may vomit. I may vomit with you. So, again, right, looking at all those actors, yeah. the way, well, reason why you'd feel deceived with this is that it's, be, it's because all of them can do comedy. And they yeah, have they, done yeah. British comedy. So you're kind of completely leading us down the garden path with this. And then we watch it and you've just got to be aware that this is not a comedy. I know, right? It's the most bizarre thing. I mean, obviously the actual operation was called Operation Midsby's while they've done it. But it's just like, yeah. it really sets the wrong tone. Um, yes. It's unfortunate because the movie's actually pretty good. As you can hear from mm. the the movie lives up to that clip. Like, it's a throwaway. Yeah. You know, you and I watch two or three of these kind of things a year, usually with lesser-tier casts. But, you know, mm. really solid, robust, well-put-together, you know, British-made wartime thriller based on a true story. I mean, the cast who are in this do star in a fair share of them. You know what I mean? Like, Colin Firth yeah. does not lack for these on his filmography. Exactly. But it works. They And, and there is a light-hearted tone here and there. There is a cheekiness that you do get from the casting. Johnny Flynn as Ian Fleming is just inspired, by the way. And, oh my really? God, whoever thought of that, just, 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 I, I've got a dream pitch for a movie and he's now, he's now in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, which, which, funnily enough, involves Ian Fleming. But uh, it's a, just a fascinating, it's a fascinating story, uh, story, entertainingly delivered, well put together, well performed, well acted. It's nothing genre defining, nothing game changing, but as a tight and tidy, you know, British made wartime thriller you get what you're paying for with this. Like, the, an older audience are going to lap this up because it absolutely plays to that crowd. It knows the notes to hit. The grandparents are going to love it. But I think to be... And it's not quite, you know, Band of Brothers level gritty or anything mm. like that. It's not quite Tinker Taylor level highbrow, but it is solid mid-tier film four. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Oh, welcome back to Offscreen. And now in our next block of big movies you can see on the big screen, we've got something very, very sexy for you. In fact, we've got two things that are really, really sexy for you, but not how you would expect. We're going to kickstart this with something that is rated 18 for very good reason. And it's in cinemas from today. And it is all about sexy lesbian nuns in the 17th century. Now, yes, you will know what you're getting with this one. This is no Operation Mincemeat. This is Benedetta. And again, it's something that I feel you would have watched as like some B movie from the 70s brought up to date by none other than Paul Verhoeven. I mean, I, I love... There's, there's, a, there's a, a, a short list of things in love. I love in life. I love movies. I love my fiancé. <laughs> I love my car. I love you, Bex. Um, I also <laughs> love the cinema of Paul Verhoeven. Uh, Paul Verhoeven is my god of film. He just is. And the, the, the man who brought us Robocop, Starship Troopers, Total Recall, Basic Instinct showgirls has turned his uh, attention to an almost Suspiria inspired 17th century Italian supernatural nun thriller setting <laughs> is just amazing to me so uh, this stars uh, Virginia Fira who, uh, who uh, alongside uh, Daphne Patakia and Charlotte Rampling in the story of Benedetta who is a sort mm. of a young uh, seen as a sort of young religious prodigy is uh, she is bought into a convent a prestigious 
convents with you know uh, high on uh, prestige with high standing within the church and uh, in the town of uh, I think it's Passia I think it's Passia it's called and yes. uh, years go by years go by she, she ages from being little girl to being Virginia Fira and uh, the stunning Virginia Fira by the way and uh, who I think was in L I think she played a supporting role in L Paul Verhoeven's previous one a few years ago and he's obviously got to be bumped up to, to lead here. Good, good. Keep the talent around, Paul. You know how to pick him. <laughs> Nothing ever came of the Starship Troopers lot, but other than that, anyway. Um, <laughs> so, gets to, uh, you know, later years. Uh, Benedetta is now an adult woman, young woman, you know, sort of prime. And the, the convent takes in a, another, a woman, young woman of similar age, played by uh, Daphne Patakia, who's sort of more of an urchin. And uh, Benedetta's parent, r- richer parents, basically take her in as an act of charity for their daughter, only for an illicit romance to uh, begin to emerge between the pair, as it also emerges that moments of, let's just say, certain physical pleasure and delight seem to inspire religious, uh, almost supernatural and horror-infused visions within Benedetta herself. Uh, visions that may be bringing about the apocalypse. Remember, this is a Paul Verhoeven movie, so if you think any of this is going to be done subtly or with any level of tact, look up the work of Paul Verhoeven. Bex, how did you find <laughs> Benedetta? Okay, so I... I literally felt, like I said before, that this should be some B-movie from the 70s. I actually really enjoyed it, and I thought it was... Um, it was something that kind of shouldn't have made me laugh, but did. Like, I did think it was very compelling. I thought it was really well acted. I thought that Charlotte uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg, who's in there, is like, she's like the older head nun. Rampling, uh, rampling, rampling, the other art house Charlotte, yep. Charlotte Rampling, yes. And um, my, the crescendo that is the ending, I absolutely love because oh, it's no, something really. like, it's something like Witchfinder General gone mental. And I absolutely adored that ending. And, you know, there are moments where you kind of think a few things to yourself. You kind of go, where in the world, at what time, was there ever a convent with such sexy nuns? Firstly, never going to happen. And then secondly, I love, and this isn't a spoiler alert or anything, but in with the ending, there is a moment where it comes from great drama to... The, the the two uh, female leads just ending up stark naked in a barn, just, you know, sleeping. And of course, they just have to be fully naked. And it's just, <laughs> it's just, you're right. There's no subtleness about it. It's it's hilarious. Well, I mean, in the press this week, whilst promoting this, Verhoeven has, you know, he's been doing interview pieces uh, this week, and, and he has brought up that the lack of sex in movies. He is specifically going and doing, you know, an erotic thriller again next, which, mm. you know, you've got to remember, this guy gave us Basic Instinct. This guy did yeah. Showgirls. You know, he, he has a very specific, I mean, he's a very European director, you know. He, yeah. He knows, he, he, he knows his limitations on sex, and he's, he's very happy to flaunt them. Um, and, and more power to him. He is inspired by, you know, more art, more artistic European cinema. Anyway, and that's always been prevalent in his movies. You look at something mm. like Robocop, which is very heavily inspired by, you know, German German cinematic aesthetic. And even things, like the fascistic imagery that he relies on, things like Starship Troopers. There's a reason these films fascinate him, because he gives him the opportunity to explore these things from, from that specific cultural advantage. And it's why his work is always so, so, resonant because he picks topics that work with 
the kind of cinema background that he himself forms as a bedrock and something like this yeah. with its 70s you know that black almost that black narcissus the, i mean let's be really honest about this 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 kind of this is to black narcissus what showgirls is to black swan you know but yes, it's that is fun. a good analogy yeah that is a good analogy of it yeah. and you know and throw in that b-movie element for good measure because i think you need to do that to kind of keep yourself sane throughout this otherwise you'll be yeah. going what the hell am i watching um, but yeah, really, really good movie. Not what you'd expect, but it is totally sexy lesbian bonkers. nun, 17th century. Yeah. Absolutely bonkers. bonkers. Throwing, throwing in a plague there for good measure as well. Um, <laughs> so so uh, that was Benedetta. Uh, now we move on to probably the big movie of the week and some big oh, yeah. names. Again, bringing us a bit of that nostalgia, a big 90s star, a big 2000s star uh, in Channing Tatum and... Um, Sandra Bullock as well and not to mention that but there is a little appearance of, of a somewhat subtle Brad Pitt as well this is The Lost City which is in cinemas from today as well rated 12A yeah this one is just a hell of a ride I mean to be honest with you by the point we're reviewing this more or less everyone on the planet will have seen it in preview screenings because they were just showing <laughs> this left right and center for about two months I, I, it's like the day is finally here um mm. so this is so this is very much a throwback to the 80s style romantic adventure for for instance of romancing the stone uh using Bullock and Tatum uh, as the sort of de facto lead so with Bullock you get the sort of quintessential 90s rom-com lead and in Tatum mm -hmm. you get something of a late 2000s one and so there is cross-generational appeal you've also got as a villain Daniel Radcliffe who's embracing yeah. that madcap adult energy that he seems to have found you know in movies like Guns Akimbo and 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 what's the one with the Swiss Army Man the one with the dead body so, I've literally yeah. got a photo selfie of myself with the dead body from that movie um the, the Dead still looks like man. a still looks like a child wizard though <laughs> yeah, yeah st still does still does but you know what he's holding up better than the franchise is let's put it that way Fair. um and, and and in there you've got you say you've got a great star cameo from brad pitt which should have been held from the marketing because it's fantastic right so the idea is she's the ultimate romance uh, romantic adventure author uh you know trash novels he's the cover star he's the himbo covers cover model you know who's who's found something of a of a, of a, of a second tier life on the the, the the convention scenes a sort of failed actor typecast as in this in this role because of his looks she gets abducted by a super fan nut job billionaire played by daniel radcliffe because he thinks that her romantic adventure novel the lost city actually contains actual clues and he basically takes her along to find the treasure and it's up to the himbo cover model to save the day Miss Sage, I enjoyed your book about the lost city, and I believe you're the one who can help me find its treasure. I have to respectfully decline. I'm afraid I must insist. Unchain me! That's your seatbelt. Loretta Sage is missing. I'm gonna rescue her. I just want her to think of me as more than a cover model. Let's start living dangerously. Alan, what are you doing here? We're here to save you. I'm certified CPR, I'm certified CrossFit. I have snacks. After them! So this is, I have to say, this is an example of a film where I stumbled across the trailer, I was captivated by it, I want to go and see it. You don't even have to sell this to me, I'm sold. Uh, yeah. It just looks great. You, you know, this is this is what we want. You know what I mean? This is the movie everyone says they want, and it's here. And it seems to be doing it seems to be doing relatively well, to be fair, which is which is a good sign. It's, it opened in the US a few weeks ago and does seem to be actually making you know 
decent bank. So what you've got here is star names playing to playing to their brand. You know, it's it, it's a combination we haven't had before in a well-worn formula. Dusted off. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's lean on the things that work for us. That Brad Pitt cameo, for instance, is entirely just let's let Brad Pitt turn up, be Brad Pitt for five minutes, show how charming Brad Pitt is, and then just and that's it. And and you've got that with Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock. You know, this is Sandra Bullock in that you know that sort of crotchety mode. She has two modes that she's where she's the agent of chaos or she's the straight man. This is yes. kind of more her as the straight man type. She's the sort of stuck up. I think she's. I think she's widowed. The widowed romantic lead, and he's the sort of himbo who's you know she she deems as being below her kind of a thing, <laughs> and it's all about him sort of your spite. And you know you know what I mean. You know the formula, yeah. and it works because we know that both these actors are brilliant at doing that. The film's good fun. Uh, the gags all land. There's a sequence involving leeches that is going to be memed for the rest of eternity. And if you haven't seen it in the trailers <laughs> yet, brace yourself. There's going to be a, you know, there's a lot of Channing Tatum in your life coming soon. Um, great time. I think it's a two thumbs up, four star ride. Great time. Go see it. Stock up, stock up on the popcorn. Pay for the nachos. Get get the big screen. Get the comfy seats in the big screen. And strap in for like uh, 105. I think it's maybe 110 minutes. Have a good time. Sold. And now it's time for a segment we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hey, Bex. Hey, Van. What's going on? Ain't nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. We'd like to thank our sponsors this week. The New Reality, comprised of Sean and Cody, a paranormal duo in Southern California whose goal is to investigate the unknown and to gather evidence to prove or disprove supernatural or paranormal activity. You can catch their exploits in full on YouTube by searching for the New Reality Paranormal or by following the link in our show notes this week and see the pair take on any number of terrifying locales like the Brackenfern Manor, the Union Hotel and the Dake House. So if you've had your fill of listening to us talk about fictional Ghostbusters, head over to YouTube for some of the real kind by searching for the New Reality Paranormal or by following the link in our show notes. Seeing is believing. Welcome back to Off Screen. Now, as ever, we've taken you on the ride of the big screen, and now we're on to the small screen, your seven-day guide to all the top movies on your telly box. And we're kicking off with what is showing today, which is um, on Film 4, 11.05 p.m. It might not be ice, but it definitely is Cube. <laughs> well, what is this one, man? <laughs> have, you, have, you never seen, have you never seen Cube? You've never had the pleasure? I've never seen Cube. Cube, no, in a strange way, is it's kind of like uh, a, a precursor to the Saw series, but like as, as a sci-fi concept. A group of strangers oh, wake up. In, 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 in individual cubes and you make their way together and learn that the cubes are actually death traps and you have to make your way from one cube into the next to eventually find your way out and it's it's uh, written and directed I think by Vincenzo Natale who has been a fascinating genre director over the years since this is from all the way back in 97 there's cast members in there that you'd recognise from TV shows in the years like mainstream TV shows in the years since like there's cast members who've gone on to star in Star 
Stargate shows like David Hewlett and I think uh, uh, one of the cast mm. members from Nikita is in there and the Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So it's a, I think it's largely Canadian uh, cast, but it's a hell of a movie. Um, there's a sequel that's not quite as good, uh, Cube 2 Hypercube. There's a prequel, uh, Cube Zero, which was just nonsense. And I believe now there's a Japanese language remake, uh, which is just about to be released as well. But for my money, you will never top Vincenzo Natale's 97 original, which is like a nice, tight and tidy 90 minuter as well. Whack on adverts for uh, for a sort of two hour run. Uh, 11.10 tonight on Film 4. So that's Cube. Check that one out. If you've never seen or heard of it, it's a good one, especially mm. if you like the Saw series as well. This is more yeah. of a sci-fi spin, but it's still got the gore and the horror. A bit more Clive Barker than Saw. <laughs> Fair. Okay, moving swiftly on to that, we're going to take you to something not so horror-driven or, or you know, scary in any way. It's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, 4.20pm uh, on Film 4, which is out on Saturday. Now, again, I think Tom Holland is one of the strongest Spider-Man that we've really ever had out mm. of the trio uh, of, re- of recent days. And I know there was news out that um, Sam Raimi might want to revisit mm. with Tobey Maguire doing another Spider-Man, an OAP Spider-Man. I'd be interested to see that. <laughs> um, Spider-Man into, into Spider-Verse. I enjoyed this, I yeah. think. Well, and, this, this is, you know, and again... Yeah, uh, this is the Oscar-winning Spider-Man, really, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And... Um, yeah, and I think this one is... This is the animated one, isn't it? This, this is the this one This is that's... the animated one in which we're introduced to, for the first time you know, in, in feature film format, Miles Morales' Spider-Man, um, who is, mm. I believe, he's uh, Hispanic African-American, I believe. And uh, he's uh, he, he basically takes the place of Peter Parker in this universe after Peter Parker dies, effectively. And he's then tasked yeah. with, uh, with joining a team of all the other Spider-Men from all the different pockets of the multiverse who are all deposited into his when the kingpin has <clears throat> a mach- uh, one of his death you know death trap experiments run awry but i've got a clip for you of uh, jake johnston's older peter b parker the, sh- the schlubby middle-aged one with the beer belly with the dad bot teaching miles <laughs> how to uh, <clears throat> how to web sling hey with your hips look where you wanted to hit Double tap to release and whip it out again. Okay. Whip and release. And whip, release. Whip and release. You're an actor. Whip, release. Feel the rhythm? Good, Miles. I gotta say, you're amazing, man. We're a little teeth. Me as the teacher who could still do it. You as the student who can do it just not as good. I'm proud of us. Is there something you want to say to me? It's amazing, isn't it, when you kind of see this concept of the multiverse in animation form and then they bring it to life in yeah. live action with No Way Home. I think that's quite it was quite a clever move from Marvel to kind of do it that way, particularly off the back of this doing so well across award season as well. So that is available for you 4.20pm on Film 4 on Saturday. Ah, uh, Sunday. Who doesn't want to spend Easter Sunday yep. without watching an absolute classic of a movie? It's on ITV2. 3.25pm. You will not get through this without crying. It is your friendly alien that's come down to visit you. Of course, it's E.T., the extraterrestrial. Oh, my goodness. I could watch this every year if I had the time, you know, and, and thought to do it because it just... It, it's timeless. 
Did you have you seen the documentary In Search of Tomorrow? It came out recently. It's like a four-hour, five-hour-long documentary about eighties science fiction cinema, and it basically uh, it goes no. through it because it, it's it's attached to uh, Oliver Harper, who's a, a, a YouTube personality that I, I, I'm quite a big fan of, and uh, he does like film retrospectives on YouTube, and and so I get I got into it through that. And they played a clip. They played a couple of clips uh, when they were talking about ET, and the clips alone had me reduced to blubbery. I was actively weeping mm. at literally a forty-five second clip of the end of the third act of E.T. and uh, it, it, this is this just tugs on your heartstrings this is one of the most integral cornerstone emotional components of I think someone in their late 30s <laughs> anyone in their yes. in their late 30s early 40s I think this is one of the it's, it's like my girl it's just one of those core emotional components or batteries not included or short circuit they yeah. were just so, no I yeah. mean the Goonies. It's just one of those core cinematic components that we all sort of have. And E.T., I think, is where we learn to cry. You know, we learn to cry when we're sad as kids, I think, like, properly. But also, like, if you are as of our certain vintage, mm. I would suggest that you also YouTube the audition videos for this. Oh, God, I um, Because yeah. uh, it's so... The skills on all the child actors, we're not just talking about Drew Barrymore, is just amazing. So, look, guys, there's so many reasons why you need to watch E.T. the Extraterrestrial. If you haven't visited it in the last decade, what are you doing? Spend your Easter Sunday not visiting the family, watching this on ITV2 instead. Um, Right, let's move on to to Monday, 9pm, Horror Channel. Are we talking about the classic in this, The Thing? Yeah, John John Carpenter. Is it 19... Funnily enough, I think it's the, the same thing. year. I think it's the same year as E.T., actually, funnily enough, but very, very different kind of aliens. This is <clears throat> John Carpenter's remake of The Thing from the, uh, thing, the thing from Another World, um, starring Kurt Russell, starring Keith David. Oh, my God, what a cast this had. Wilfred Brimley, man. Wilfred Brimley. It's, uh, you know, it's the crew in the Arctic. Uh, one of them is an alien. It could, Man is the warmest place to hide. A parasitic alien. Groundbreaking visual effects. All-time badass performance from Sir Kurt Russell, I don't care that he's not knighted. That man is a sir to me, and uh, <laughs> just, just, just one of one of the best movies ever made. Full mm. stop. Period. Underline. Bold. Please. Right. Let's move on to. I think you'll agree. One of the uh, more charming rom coms of the late 1990s. Yes. This hailing from the year 1997. It's showing at 6:40 p.m. on Film Four on Tuesday. Um, the Dame Julia Roberts in My Best Friend's Wedding. Rebecca, we've got a clip for this. Yes. Tell us about My Best Friend's Wedding, please. Well, it's Julia Roberts. It's Cameron Diaz, isn't it? It and, is. Uh, who's Who's the lead? lead guy in it is it Dermot Dermot Mulroney but you'll also remember Rupert Everett as the gay best friend in this because I think this was Rupert Everett's big breakout as well yeah and I always remember in interviews about this film Cameron Diaz going I really cannot sing and there's a very quite a famous scene in this where she's like having to sing and she's pretending it's very very genuine and I'm pretty sure she was you know a little bit sort of nervous having to film this anyway but yeah it's your ultimate like it it is what it is it's your best friend is there to support you on your wedding day but actually she's in love with the groom and vice versa and it just uh, works out in 90s classic fashion yeah not not helped by the fact that Cameron Diaz's character as our clip will immensely cue here is uh, actually just an annoyingly nice person. So sweet of you to want to be protective, but nothing ever could, ever did give me one moment's pause about this marriage. You become hysterical in small confinement. Except one. 
You. You'll always be there in his mind, this perfect creature that he loved for all those years. Well, perfection can get wearing after a while. I'm not kidding. I had to face up to all of my competitive drives, and believe me, I've got them. No. And after all, what, am I going to be jealous of you for the rest of my life? Our paths will keep on crossing. Of course. He'll always talk about you. It's only natural. And the answer was so simple. <laughs> I was going to predict that. You win. I've missed a step. He's got you on a pedestal me in his arms. Sounds like a good place to be. My Best Friend's Wedding, 6.40pm, film four on Tuesday. Um, on 4.7 then, 9pm for Wednesday. We'll breeze through this real quick. Captain Marvel, which I haven't seen in, in, a, in a year or two, actually. I could revisit Captain mm. Marvel. Um, the, well, it's the origin story for Captain Marvel, but it's also sort of their 90s period piece as well. So loads of references mm. like Nine Inch Nails, uh, Mall Rats, you know, No Doubt on the soundtrack, a bit of Courtney Love in there. It's, it's a good time. Brie Larson's good fun. Uh, I like Lashana Lynch yeah. as, I can't remember which Rambo she is. Is she Monica or Maria Rambo? She's Maria Rambo. Um, the, the older Rambo, because we're now decades in the future and her daughter is going to be character again uh, soon uh, but rounding off the week uh, one of my all time go to uh, good time thrillers uh, starring the great Gene Hackman and the equally great Denzel uh, Crimson Tide mm-hmm. is on 5 star 10pm on Thursday it's the captain and the first officer during a state of potential nuclear war and they're unable to agree when c- communications are cut off whether or not they should launch the bomb what I'm saying captain is that we have backup now it's our duty not to launch until we can confirm. You're presuming that we have other submarines out there ready to launch. But as Captain, I must assume that our submarines could have been taken out by other Akulas. We can play these games all night, Mr. Hunter, but I don't have the luxury of your presumptions. Sir. Mr. Hunter, we have rules that are not open to interpretation, personal intuition, gut feelings, hairs on the back of your neck, little devils or angels sitting on your shoulders. Captain. We're all very well aware what our orders are and what those orders mean. They come down from our commander-in-chief. They contain no ambiguity. Mr. Hunter, I've made a decision. I'm captain of this boat. Now shut the f*** up! Oh, we miss you, Gene. Oh, mutiny, mutiny, mutiny. Uh, James Gandolfini in that's such a badass. Viggo Mortensen as well is really cool in that movie. And he's a young, mm. there's a young Ryan Philippe in there if you're paying attention as well. Uh, Crimson Tide, that yes. 10 p.m. Film, uh, film star, five star, 10 p.m. on Thursday. Um, a great ride by the great Tony Scott. Welcome back to Offscreen. Now it is time to take a whistle-stop tour through everything in between. And what we mean by that is everything on DVD, Blu-ray and streaming. And we are kick-starting with what is available on Disney Plus as of today. Uh, and we've got a few offerings for you, in fact. Um, most of the offerings that we've got for you are from Disney Plus uh, today. And that is um, starting with the Three Musketeers, the 2011 version. Uh, and I don't know, I, look, if you say Three Musketeers to me, I'm thinking brian adams all for one you know like you know well, all for one and one for all was it all for yeah. love one for all all for, all love. for love i all believe love. is the song yeah 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 and i absolutely love that with chris o'donnell and oh mm-hmm. god what was it who were the rest chris of the o'donnell cast? was d'artagnan and the musketeers yeah. were keith musutherland, keith musutherland. Charlie Sheen, oliver platt and oliver cardinal platt, richelieu was tim, richelieu curry. Was tim curry yes. yeah which was awesome so hard to beat that one. Um, so the Three Musketeers, a 2011 version. I don't know if I even remember this. 
Right, so this was the Paul W.S. Anderson version that somehow had to have uh, Mila Jovovich kind of crowbarred in there. They starred Logan Lerman as uh, as D'Artagnan. It was in 3D, and I can't remember who the third one was, but I know two of the Musketeers were Luke Evans and uh, Matthew McFadden again. So, uh, yeah, what? this was... I mean, and also, this had Orlando Bloom as a villain. Would you believe it was? Uh, it was bonkers. It was. It was obviously intended as the start of a franchise because I think it ends in such a way that does like lead you to think there's, there, there are genuinely going to be proper cinema. Like they leave storylines like they developed, mm. like set up, like almost like a. You know, have you ever heard of the Avengers Initiative? Like you know, kind of a, the Robin Hood Initiative, kind of a, that kind of level of uh, mm. of creepy anachronistic uh, franchise building in there. But you know what? It's exactly as much fun as you'd imagine a Paul Anderson-directed uh, version of The Three Musketeers would be. You know, loads of dumb CGI. Ray Stevenson. Ray Stevenson was the third musketeer. I'm convinced uh. Ray Stevenson. Sorry, how my mind works. Um, <laughs> the the, the not-so-fondly-remembered Punisher from 2008 in, in Warzone. Anyway, um, so Three Musketeers on Disney Plus today. Uh, as it is, one I've not seen, but I've always wanted to. I figure you must have seen this one. This is Emily Blunt in The Young Victoria. Do you remember this one? I, I actually haven't seen. I haven't seen this either. I was just thinking to myself... Jenna Coleman, but no, that was a series, and then <laughs> yeah, was a series, then, yeah, yeah, that's what's so, yeah. to mind. This is this is uh, Emily Blunt as young Queen Victoria, opposite Rupert Friend as uh, as young Albert. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it was it was like an award season contender at the time, but it's just not gotten much like historical traction. It's not like that fondly remembered or often remembered now. But uh, from the sounds of it, and just just from the general vibe that I remember around the time, probably should be. How dare you speak to me in that way before them? How dare you talk across me as if I were a child? I did no such thing. Oh no. Well, you, you've sorted this, you've sorted that, you and Sir Robert, you and the Duke, and all without reference to me. Victoria, I thought you'd be pleased. I will tell you what you thought. You thought that I was a woman to be petted and passed over and ignored. Would it were so simple, then we might avoid more scandals of your making. Have you lost your mind? Do you wonder at it? Did you yeah, notice right? that? Did you did you notice that <laughs> one of your favourite things from Hail Caesar? Would it were yeah. so simple? Yeah. <laughs> would, would, it, would it were so simple? Would it were so simple? Um, the problem I've got with this, just by hearing it, and also mm. I do remember like the trailers at the time, is that Emily Blunt is brilliant in anything she does. She's brilliant, but I almost think she's not the right casting for Queen Victoria. It doesn't feel like the right fit, just on the surface. Um, so I'd be intrigued to watch this because, you know, I, I'd want to be proved wrong in it, but there's something just doesn't quite gel for me. And that might have been the reason why I was like, yeah, nah, not going to watch it. Rupert Friend, however, interesting choice. Mm. So uh, speaking of interesting choices, so this is, these are all on Disney Plus from today. Uh, we're getting the double header. We talked recently about Speed, you know, the Stone Cold classic that is Speed. Mm. Uh, well, 
Disney Plus, through their, you know, Fox acquisition and the star tier, are adding speed and speed two from cruise today control as well. <laughs> cruise control, yes. Now, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> I get there, on paper you can see like all the ingredients for speed two lining up. Like Willem Dafoe is a good choice for who you get as a villain to follow up Dennis Hopper. Like that mm. works. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just a shame that the villain's terrible and that the movie's terrible. Everything about it is terrible, but. You know, and even Sandra Bullock now has like said in interviews in press coverage for The Lost City, she has no idea why she did it. It's a terrible movie. It makes no sense, given that it's about a boat that goes relatively slowly. <laughs> but uh, and, you know also, I mean? also to the point is that I don't think Jason Patrick had a role after this either. I think this is like a bit of a career ender for him, wasn't it? I- Really, like he kind of finished off Jason Patrick, didn't he? I mean, he turns yeah. up in The Losers in 2009. I remember that. And he's a good villain in The Losers. I like The Losers yeah. more than most people do. I think that's It's like, keep him to the Lost Boys. <laughs> yeah, but, ah, uh, oh, poor Jason Patrick. Alas, yeah. Speed and Speed 2 on uh, on, on uh, Disney Plus from today. But the first one, starring Keanu. Oh, my God, it's legendary. Do it. Um, another one, this one. This one's a bit more recent. This is coming from out from today. Uh, this is, I think this is actually being put on there under its uh, full time of Le Mans 66 uh, uh, under its uh, formal title sorry of Ford v Ferrari or Le Mans 66 I'm not yeah. sure but we know, we know which one great. in the UK yeah. it was Ford v Ferrari but everywhere else yeah. it was Le Mans 66 um, this is uh, Matt Damon and Christian Bell you remember this one don't you yeah I really like this about the the driver and his is it his not mechanic? That's not that's a bit more a bit of a base way of describing it. But it's, um, it's the end. No. It's the engineer slash designer and the driver who basically yeah. tried to come up with the Shelby Cobra. It, it, it you know to win Le Mans sixty six so that yeah. Ford can stick it to Enzo Ferrari effectively. Yes. It is about the most dad bro movie imaginable, isn't it? It is, but actually, I really loved it. And Katrina Balfour is in it as well from yeah. Outlander. Um, it's a really good kind of look back at it, uh, at this event that happened and this real life, uh, you know, scenario. And if you like racing, I think it's shot really well. It's uh, beautifully acted as well. And, uh, you know, it's a perfect Matt Damon movie. It's one of those Matt Damon movies where you go, this is going to be a stable Matt Damon Probably. movie that you know what you're going to get and you know you're going to enjoy it. We, we said dad bro, right? Yeah, fine, fine, <laughs> Matt fine. Damon, Matt Damon's kind of the acceptable face of dad bro, isn't he? But this is, I mean, this is just, uh, this is just a, you know, a time-tested, like, James Mangold thing. This is James Mangold directing, you know, Logan mm. and, and 310 to Yuma, James Mangold. And, and it, 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 it's absolutely his formula. It's a star-driven for the adults drama. It's got a great Christian Bale performance where he gets to unveil yet another of his accents. So let's, let's have a listen to Ken's accent yeah. as Matt Damon, as Matt Damon, because his character is Ken. Uh, Christian Bale's accent as Ken, whilst Matt Damon tries to defend one of his ten- temper tantrums, and just the fact that it's Christian Bale doing a temper tantrum in a movie, using this voice, is kind of brilliantly meta. You can stick this bloody sticker where the sun. Hey, hey, Bill. Hey, right. Bill. What seems to be the problem? Bill? Well, the Mars problem is that Bill here is a. No, he doesn't mean no, that. No, yes, he does. No, yes, he, really he does. Yes, no, that. he He's really does think that Bill is an. I'm just doing Bill, my Bill, job Bill, here. Bill, 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 in my experience, there is, listen to me, something like this, there's always a middle ground. Mm-hmm. All right, now Ken's out of line. And I'm just right? doing my job. I understand you are. You know how he gets on a race day. You know that. All right, but you're not going to DQ us over at Trump. I remember watching this and coming out going, God, I was really slapstick from Christian Bale uh, in the way he portrayed Ken. And then you actually look up. It works, though, doesn't it? 
Yeah. No, you look up the the original, you know, the real guy, and it's very much mm. true on point as well. So very true to form. Um, so yeah, Le Mans '66. You'll be forgiven if you watched it previously when it was called Ford, Ford versus Ferrari. They are yeah. the same movie, and that is available on Disney Plus. Now to round off this week, <laughs> I am excited to hear Van go off. I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna rein you in on this because we haven't got much time left yeah. in the show. Available on DVD and Blu-ray. <laughs> Is, is cow and I did think of Van when I saw this being nominated at the BAFTAs and I thought if this yeah. one never going to hear the end of it yeah I know right yeah uh, this is Andrea Arnold's literal chronicle of cows and oh my god I it, it's mostly I just can't believe it exists um, I just wanted to acknowledge that it is being released on DVD so that Case Allen uh, one time host of, of off screen um, obviously I'm in a completely different country to Case Allen and you now so <laughs> but uh, he, he always has this thing about Matalan box sets uh, tenuously themed Matalan box sets and I think we had the, if we had this one with copies of Pig uh, Dog with Channing Tatum's so Nicholas Cage's Pig Channing Tatum's Dog uh, Numi Rapace's Lamb uh, I think we could we could make a serious uh, box set then if we then added... You have a whole uh, farm. Cow. <laughs> We've got the whole farm in there. It's a cow, which I think is a terrible, terrible waste of time. Uh, is on DVD and Blu-ray uh, from Monday. Uh, but you know what's out next week, Bax? Loads more fun next week. Because um, it was a good week for new releases this week. We had a great time with new releases this week. But next week, um, we've got uh, the documentary Ennio on Ennio Morricone, you know, the famous uh, film composer. Uh, Happening is out. Firebird is out. But it doesn't matter what else is out, because I think we know what's going to be the heavyweight next week. And it is, of course, being weighted down by the unbearable weight of massive talent Nicolas Cage the redemption of Nicolas Cage is here we just mentioned Nicolas Cage in Pig it was all part of a, of a plan that's what it was the Recagesance whatever you want to call it it's happening the Cajuning it, it, it's coming the redemption of Nicolas Cage is finally here and it is building to a head with the unbearable weight of massive talent which we are finally going to get the opportunity to talk about next week I have seen it I don't know if you have you had the opportunity to see this one yet but I've there's, not there's but I've I've heard a lot of good vibes mm-hmm. coming from people who are like Nicolas Cage I've never laughed so yeah, much in yeah. my life well I, I can tell you that come next week there will be conversations about Paddington 2 that you will never have seen coming so <laughs> the unbearable weight of massive talent and the redemption of Nicolas Cage to come all along with more free view streaming and the full works next week off screen but for now I've been Bex Perfect I've been Van Connor and we shall return <laughs> <laughs>